0: Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
1: And And blessed be His kingdom, now and forever.
0: Amen. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love Thee and worthily magnify Thy holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ. Lord, have mercy upon us. The Lord be with you.
1: And spirit.
0: Let us pray. <laughs> Merciful God, who sent thy messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
2: A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi, chapter 2, beginning at the 17th verse. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Saint Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the son of Zachariah in the wilderness. And he went into during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight." And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the finalist for the Oxford Dictionary's 2016 Word of the Year was the Nordic word "huga." It's a Danish word roughly meaning coziness, and it's gained a decent amount of popularity here in the United States and in Britain of late. A New York Times article put it saying this, Christmas is the most hygge time of the year. It is candles, nubby woolens, shirling slippers, woven textiles, Pastries, blonde wool, sheepskin rugs, lattes with milk foam hearts, and a warm fireplace. I think for me, if you were to throw in some Charlie Brown on the TV, maybe some Patsy Cline on the radio, perhaps a winter storm outside and a good book, that's probably all the hygge that I could handle. Well, if you were to look at the church's assigned readings for the season of Advent, you might get the impression... That the church was intentionally trying to throw a wet blanket on everyone's huga. The coziness of Christmas is jolted out of us by figures like John the Baptist. I defy you to find me one of those chocolate filled Advent calendars with a picture of John the Baptist on the front of it. There's nothing warm and cozy about a man out in the desert wearing camel's hair, eating bugs, calling everyone broods of vipers, and warning them to repent. If you look at the church's scriptures in the season of Advent and expect to feel warm fuzzies about a baby in a manger, you will be greatly surprised and sorely mistaken. You see, the majority of the readings in the season of Advent, they deal with things like judgment, repentance, the end of the world. This is because, as Brian said last week, the word Advent means coming, and and during Advent, we anticipate both the first coming of Christ uh, with His birth in Bethlehem as well as his second coming when he comes at the end of the age to judge the living and the dead. And to separate one from the other would do both of them injustice. To have the first coming without the second is purely sentimental and short-sighted. But to have the second without the first is cold and cruel. Advent rightly keeps both of God's comings in view. And so because Advent is all about keeping the first and second comings of the Lord together, it's perhaps the most rebellious season of the year. It, it resists a whitewashed world. It resists the superficiality of sentimentality. You see, Advent is not afraid to dive deep into the heart of darkness. And as it enters the harsh realities of our fallen world, it cries out to the light of the world for Him to come and bring justice. It should not come as a surprise then to notice that almost all of the Old Testament readings during Advent are from the prophets. see, the prophets prophesied about the coming of the Lord in the last days, which was both a warning and a comfort. And this morning, I want us to look at one of the prophets, the prophet Malachi, who believed that the comings of the Lord were so united that they appeared to him to be just one singular event. Kind of like when you're driving up to the mountains and from afar, they look like they're just one peak, but as you get closer, there are successive peaks in reality. And the same is true for how Micah viewed the coming of the Lord. And I want to suggest to you this morning that if you want real peace, if you want real comfort this holiday season, don't shy away from the idea of God as a judge. Don't shy away from the second coming of Christ. And what I want to suggest to you today is that the only way to get the true comfort of Christmas is It's only through Advent. The true peace can only be had when we keep the baby in Bethlehem connected to his return at the end of the age, when he comes to judge. And I know that may sound counterintuitive, so as we turn to Malachi, what I want to do this morning is give you three reasons why the coming of God as a judge brings true peace. So let's look at Malachi. Malachi. The first reason that the coming of God as a judge brings us peace is because it assures us that He is not unmoved by our present circumstances. Malachi was prophesying around 450 B.C. to a group of people who had returned from exile in Babylon. And the people had expected their return to the promised land to signify that God was finally coming through on His great promises to David and the patriarchs. They expected the glory days to come, and their return was a long and slow process of disillusionment. The land was all of a sudden filled with other nations, and instead of being a great and powerful nation, Micah's audience, Israel, were now a tiny tiny band of resettled expatriates among the great powers of Egypt and Persia. And although they had rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed, it paled in comparison to the temple that once was. Ezra tells us that those who were old enough to remember that former temple, when they saw this rebuilt one, they wept because of how unimpressive it was. Socially, as well, the returned exiles were a mess. Expectations of great wealth were met with extreme poverty. Religious devotion was met with apathy and empty worship, and injustice ran rampant. And so Malachi, he takes the people to task and says to them, You have wearied the Lord with your words. And amazed and perplexed and presuming innocence, they respond by saying, How have we wearied the Lord with our words? And uh, Malachi gives two reasons. First, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. And then also by saying, secondly, where is the God of justice? You see, these people were surveying all that was around them and their current circumstances and they had become cynical. The question, where is the God of justice, is not asked out of a fervent heart longing for the Lord, at least for them, as compared to maybe, say, some of the psalmist. But these, uh, the audience of Malachi were asking it with a cynical heart that assumed that God had abandoned them. And they were gravely in error. God hadn't turned a blind eye. He hadn't come off his throne in these injustices. And Malachi speaks for the Lord, and he says, Behold, or in the vernacular, he says, Look here, I am sending my messenger and He will prepare the way for me. The Lord is going to come into His temple, and look, look here, He's coming. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is all about the certainty of God coming to a people who have been uh, cynical about His paternal care and presence. And this morning, if you're here and you are experiencing hardship, the certainty of God's coming is a comfort because in the very least, it assures us that he is not unmoved by your situation. He isn't blind to it, and he's coming to do something about it. You see, for a a certain hope for the future brings with it comfort in the present. Imagine with me for a moment that there's a, a poor man who's wrongfully accused, and he's sentenced to five years in a harsh prison camp in the icy wilderness. And as he's about to enter this prison... He receives a letter in the mail from his father, and it says, I've come upon a large sum of money, and I've deposited $100 million in your bank account. Now, what sort of difference might that news make in the day-to-day experience of that man who's falsely accused? Well, you'd expect that the harsh conditions of the prison would all of a sudden be infinitely more bearable. There is still, yes, the daily hardship that he's going to face, but the news of what lies ahead is going to enable these conditions to be infinitely more manageable. But look, the the comfort of that message is only as good as the certainty of it. Was his father trustworthy? If so, then he had an immense comfort that could buoy him despite his circumstances because he knew what was ahead. In a similar way, Malachi wanted to comfort his audience with the certain truth that God was not apathetic to injustice. He was hoping that the news of God was certainly, that the news that God was certainly coming would break through their cynical hearts. My friends, when you look at the hardships and injustices in your own life, are you cynical about God's care or concern? Then listen and hear Malachi's words and know that the Lord cares and doesn't turn a blind eye. He surely is coming. And we today have an even more sure hope than the people of Malachi's day. That's because the Lord has already begun to fulfill His promise in the coming of Jesus Christ. So don't be skeptical about the Lord's apparent absence. Listen to the Apostle Peter's words to those who wonder where God is. He says, Scoffers will come in the last days and they will say, Where is the promise of the Lord's coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The coming of God as a judge brings us peace, because it assures us that He actually cares when we experience injustice. But secondly, the coming of God as a judge brings peace because it removes our right to retaliation. The certainty of God coming as a judge is a comfort to those who have experienced injustice, but it also stops every single one of us dead in our tracks. Malachi's audience longed for justice to be served, but they get more than they bargained for. Verse 2 says, "...who can endure the day of His coming?" Who can stand when He appears? See, God judges with no partiality. He has a perfect justice. And the standard of His judgment is His absolute righteousness and holiness. And so the prophet is right when he says, on the day when the Lord comes, who can endure it? Not a single one of us can stand before God's bar of justice. And that cuts each one of us to the quick. The line between good and evil, it runs through the heart of every single one of us. And what that means is that compared to God's holiness, each one of us actually has far more in common with the worst human beings in history than we do with God. Let that sink in. And if you're wondering, well, how, how does this bring us peace? Here's how it brings peace. Many people think religion only causes division in the world. Just think of that song, Imagine, by John Lennon. They say human history and how it has brought so much violence, and that's been done in the name of religion. And if we really want peace, what we need to do is get rid of religion altogether. What we need to do especially is get rid of the idea of a God of, just, of judgment. And Yale theologian Miroslav Volf has tried to show that, in fact, the exact opposite is the case. He says that the lack of a belief of a God of judgment, secretly it nourishes violence. Now how can he say that? Well, Wolf himself is a Croatian who saw firsthand the injustices and violence in the Balkans in the 20th century. And he says, imagine being in a room just like he was, that was filled with people who have seen their cities and their villages burned, their mothers and their daughters ravaged, and their fathers and brothers Killed. And imagine telling those people, now listen, violence never solves anything. He knows that the impulse to make perpetrators pay for their crimes is almost an overwhelming impulse. And to say that platitudes like violence never solves anything will never do justice to the reality of the pain they've experienced. And I think this is only confirmed when we look at the last few years here in the United States. Why has there been so much violence and and rioting and vengeance? It's because the horrors of what's been done have felt too great to simply sit idly by and do nothing. When you remove the notion of a God of justice, personal retaliation is inevitable. And Wolf says that the only way to truly acknowledge both the reality of the injustice and at the same time keep people from taking up the sword themselves, is to actually believe in a God of judgment. He says that the only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God himself. He says that if that sounds unfavorable or uncomfortable to you, it's probably because you yourself have lived a sheltered life. He says that it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the belief that human nonviolence can come about by removing the notion of a God who judges. But in a sun-scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, the notion that we need to get rid of a God who judges will inevitably die. Friends, it's no accident uh, that the antithesis to the riots that we've seen in the U.S. have come from people in churches who believe in a God who of judgment. We have the perfect example right here in Charleston. Families of those who loved, uh, lost their loved ones at Mother Emmanuel, they forgave their enemy and they refused to retaliate, not because they denied the God of judgment, but precisely because they believed in a God of perfect justice. If you were unable to make the Wednesday men's lunch this past week, where Chris Singleton, who was one of the sons of the victims, he spoke on this very subject, and I would commend that talk. You can find it on our website. So the coming of God as a judge brings us peace uh, because, first, it assures us that He cares for us. Second, it brings peace because it removes our right to retaliation. And finally, it brings peace because it shows us the depth of God's love. And I know that sounds almost absurd. How can the idea of a God who judges reveal His love Well, famous British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones gave a helpful illustration. He said, imagine a friend of yours uh, comes to you and he says, hey, I was at your house and a bill came due in the mail and I went ahead and I I paid it for you. And Lloyd-Jones says, well, how should you respond to your friend? He says that the answer is actually you have no idea how to respond to your friend until you know how much that bill was. Just, was it a $10 bill, maybe the water that somebody paid just to keep the water on while you were on vacation? When, of course, you'd say, well, thanks, I appreciate that, that's very kind. What if that bill was from the IRS and the decades of back taxes had finally come to fruition? What if that debt was astronomical? You see, you have no idea how to respond until you find out the magnitude of the, the debt that was owed. You won't know whether to simply shake the person's hand or to fall down before them with tears in your eyes and kiss their feet. My friends, do you know what was happening at the cross? Do you you know where we see God's love most clearly? It's actually where we see God's judgment fully displayed as well. It's at the cross where Jesus wasn't just experiencing physical or emotional pain. He was experiencing the cosmic weight of God's judgment on sin. He was experiencing the infinite debt that we owed to a holy God. Malachi warned, who can endure the fiery wrath of God? Who can stand under His righteous judgment? Well, the answer is Jesus Christ. He could stand because He was perfectly sinless. And yet he willingly chose to undergo God's wrath on sin on behalf of his beloved. And at the cross, Jesus underwent the refiner's fire and he was utterly consumed. You never know how much someone loves you until you know the cost of their sacrifice. And the cross shows us that God's love cost him his own life. And ironically, by getting rid of the idea of judgment, people try to make God more loving and they actually make Him less loving. The cross shows us how both judgment and love go hand in hand. So what does this mean for us today? It means that the fire of God's judgment will not consume those who are united to Jesus by faith. Instead, His flames are simply a means of purification and restoration. Verses 3-4 through tell us that God will come like a refiner of precious metals and cleanse and restore His people. The story goes that there was a group of women studying this very passage and when they got to this part about the refining of silver, one of the ladies asked, well, what, what all is involved in this process of refinement? So one of them went to a silversmith to find out more and She watched the silversmith light the fires and and put the impure silver in a vessel and put that vessel over the top of the fire. And the silversmith told her that it was important that the silver be right over the hottest part of the flame. And as she watched that silver right there over the fire, she asked, well, do you have to stay this entire time or can you go away and, and come back? He said, oh, no, 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 I have to stay right here. It's essential that I stay right here because... If I go one minute too long, the silver will be ruined. So she replied naturally, well, how do you know when the process is complete? How do you know when the silver is perfectly purified? And he said to her, when I can see my image in it. That's what the fires of God's judgment do for his people. They purify his people so that he can see his image perfectly displayed in them. Because of Jesus Christ, the fires of the refiner will purify and not consume. The words of that great hymn put it so well. When through fiery trials thy pathways shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame will not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no never, no never forsake. My friends, if you want to experience true transformation, true peace, don't cheapen God's love by trying to remove His judgment. Remember that He first came to undergo the judgment that you and I deserved, proving the depths of His love. And for those who lean on Christ, the fires of God's judgment are purely cleansing and restorative, and you can rest assured knowing that He will indeed preserve you to the very end in perfect peace. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we praise you for the depths of your love and giving yourself for us to spare us from the judgment that we deserved. Would you fill our hearts this day with your love through your refining fire, make us to image you more and more, that we would be your agents of true peace on the earth as we await that great glad day of your son's coming where he will right every wrong and wipe away every tear. Indeed, we say, come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.
0: I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the whole state of Christ's Church and the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Grant that every member of the Church may truly and humbly serve you. We ask your blessing, O Lord, on our world missions for Susie McCall and Lamb, for the medical missions in Honduras, for ministry to victims of genocide and AIDS in Rwanda, for water mission and the Global Water Center, for the persecuted church, and for St. John the Baptist, our sister church, and the schools in Haiti. We pray also for our home missions, Star Gospel Mission, Neighbors together, the Low Country Pregnancy Center, and St. John's Chapel. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be and our we pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do Your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Lord, we ask that you place your healing hand upon Harry Carr, Sally Fayard, Mark and Cindy Fields, Elizabeth Flowers, Mary Forbes, Mary Ann Hankel, Susan Hemminger, John Yeager, Kevin Kane, Claudia Colster. Joe Levesey, Fritz Lloyd, Connor Lowndes, Ann Marion, Beverly Melvin, John Murray, Karen Nix, Juanita Orvin, Olivia Palmer, Isla Pierce, Owen Ravenel, Valerie Ruyard, Fred Riley Jr., Fran Sanders, Jay Shrimp, Larry Scoville, Lynn Scoville, Jason Stryker, Lawrence Timoney, Hope Walters, Lindsay Wing, Libby Wright, Richard Wright. And Father, we also commend to your gracious care in keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad, remembering especially Becca Baird, Chris and Julia Beasley, Graham Blunt, Henry Clayton, Ben Collier, David Dautrich, Hayes Fair, Trip Hathaway, Morgan and Mason Herring, Ori Carrison, Charles Kirkman, Frazier Colts, John Mason, Zach McFadden, Philip Middleton III, Jackson Miller, Michael O'Connor, Edward Pritchard, and David Scott. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Give them courage and grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. Give to the departed eternal rest, O Lord. We grieve with and pray for the family of Marshall and Thomas Lynch, who died on November 26th. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also to in your heavenly kingdom. Almighty God, to whom our needs are known before we ask, help us to ask only what accords with your will. And those good things which we dare not or in our blindness cannot ask, grant us for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these, our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perfect offering for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Good morning and God's peace to you on this second Sunday in the season of Advent. We are delighted to have you with us, especially if you are visiting with us today. Welcome, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us via the live stream. Welcome to St. Philip's as we worship the Lord. The announcements can be found in the back of your bulletin. Uh, this, of course, is a very busy time in most people's lives, and it's a very busy time in the life of of the congregation as well. Lots going on in the month of December. This is a season of anticipation, of preparation, and that is exactly what we are doing. There are a number of things I want to bring to your attention. First of all, this Friday, December the 10th, beginning at 9 a.m., will be the greening of the church. Those of you who are longtime members of St. Philip's know that this church is absolutely transformed into something even more glorious, if you can imagine that, than what it already is in anticipation of the service of Lessons and Carols and Christmas. What some of you may not recognize is that that does not happen by magic elves that just appear. It takes a great deal of effort to get the church adorned for Christmas. And that takes place this Friday. So we could use some help. Uh, We need men and women who are willing to come out and assist in adorning the church. It's a wonderful time of fellowship. There's great food. There's drink. It's just a wonderful time to get together. But it is also a day of work. And it is a labor of love. So if you can help us, please come out this Friday. It would be greatly appreciated. As we adorn the church in anticipation of the next announcement, which is our service of lessons and carols, which will be at the later service next week. That, of course, is one of the most popular services in the life of the congregation that's going to be taking place next Sunday. So we will have an early service. Uh, Alan Runyon is going to be with us again to... Continue his presentation on the star out of Jacob, and then we will have the glorious service of lessons and carols. So we invite you to come and participate in all of those things. That will be followed by the Wassle a time of fellowship, and just a, an opportunity for us to get together. So all of that is taking place over the course of the next week. As many of you know, we have been engaged in a long, drawn-out legal battle for our property. And while I don't like to bring this up on the Lord's Day, this is something that is coming to a close. Um, This Wednesday, our legal team will appear to make oral arguments before the South Carolina Supreme Court. Many people, I think, have been of the mind that this is just going to go on and on forever. Uh, But that is not going to be the case. This is probably the last time that we will go before the South Carolina Supreme Court they will eventually, they're under no time constraints, but they will eventually hand down a decision in this case, and we will have to live with that decision one way or the other. Now, As I reminded people in the Rector's Forum, it doesn't matter, St. Philip's Church, regardless of what happens to property, is still alive and well. Because St. Philip's Church is not bricks, mortar, and stone, it is the people of God. Nevertheless, we would very much like to keep our spiritual home So this is a red-letter date in the calendar. It's taking place this week, December the 8th, the day after Pearl Harbor Day. So December 7th, we are going to have a prayer vigil here at St. Philip's. We're going to have a service as well. I would like to encourage as many of you as possible to come out and participate in that, praying that we are able to continue on the gospel ministry that we are engaged in unfettered. We'd like to be released. We'd like this to be a year of jubilee. So I encourage you to come and pray for this. Pray for Mr. Runyon. Alan, I hate to do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand up so everybody gets a good look at you. Those of you who weren't in the rector's forum. This is Alan Runyon. He is our lead attorney that's going to be before the Supreme Court of South Carolina. And so, Alan, I'm going to ask you to come up here, and I'm going to have the clergy come forward, we're just going to have a prayer over you as you get ready to head uh, into this court case. But just ask you all to pray about this. We don't talk about it here because we have more important things to talk about, and that is the gospel. But nevertheless, what we're fighting for here is the opportunity, religious freedom, to continue on the work that God has given us to do. So, Mr. Runyon, if you would come up here and the clergy would gather around, and we're just going to lay hands on you and ask God's blessing on you as you plead our case and our cause. Where is the God of justice was the question in today's lesson. Well, we pray that he's going to be in Columbia, South Carolina on December the 8th. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for Alan Runyon and our entire legal team. We thank you that you have raised him up to be our Gideon. And we pray, Father, that you would just give him readiness of thought and word that he might plead our case before the justices of the Supreme Court. And we pray that in your mercy, you would soften their minds and their hearts, that they might be receptive to his plea. Lord, we just pray that you would surround him and his wife, Beth, and their entire family with a hedge of protection. Keep them safe, because we know that we are not just struggling against flesh and blood. So, Lord, we pray your mercy upon him. But above all, Lord... Win or lose, what we pray is that Jesus Christ might be lifted up, that he might draw all men to himself. For it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If you are visiting with us today at St. Philip's, we are delighted to have you with us. Just a reminder that this is the Lord's table. This is not St. Philip's table. And all Christians who are baptized in the name of the Trinity are warmly invited to take communion with us this morning. But first, ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name. Bring offerings and come into his courts with praise. We should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty, everlasting God, because thou didst send thy beloved Son to redeem us from sin and death and to make us heirs in him of everlasting life, that when he shall come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may without shame or fear rejoice to behold his appearing. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, God, our Heavenly Father, for that Thou of Thy tender mercy didst give Thine only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there by His one oblation of Himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world, and that institute, and in His holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory of that his precious death and sacrifice until his coming again. For in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. According to the institution of thy dearly beloved Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, we, thy humble servants, do celebrate and make here before thy divine majesty with these thy holy gifts which we now offer unto thee, the memorial thy Son hath commanded us to make, having in remembrance his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, rendering unto thee most hearty thanks, for the innumerable benefits procured unto us by the same. And we most humbly beseech thee, O merciful Father, to hear us, and of thy almighty goodness, vouchsafe to bless and sanctify with thy word and Holy Spirit these thy gifts and creatures of bread and wine, that we, receiving them according to thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. And we earnestly desire thy fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, most humbly beseeching thee to grant that by the merits and death of thy Son Jesus Christ and through faith in his blood, we and all thy whole church may obtain remission of our sins and all other benefits of his Passion. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee, humbly beseeching thee that we and all others who shall be partakers of this holy communion may worthily receive the most precious body and blood of thy Son, Jesus Christ, be filled with thy grace and heavenly benediction, and made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. And although we are unworthy through our manifold sins to offer unto thee any sacrifice, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounden duty and service, not weighing our merits, but pardoning our offenses, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom, in the unity of the Holy Ghost, all honor and glory be unto thee, O Father Almighty, world without end. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ hath taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, We may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. for the uh-huh. We most heartily thank thee for that thou dost feed us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and dost assure us thereby of thy favor and goodness towards us, and that we are very members incorporate in the mystical body of thy Son, the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope, of thy everlasting kingdom. We humbly beseech thee, O Heavenly Father, so to assist us with thy grace, that we may continue in that holy fellowship, and do all such good works as thou hast prepared for us to walk in, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all honor and glory, world without Now may the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be upon you this day, and remain with you always. Amen.